The reading and the preaching of God's Word this morning comes from the book of Joshua. If you please turn with me there in your Bibles. Joshua chapter 1, we're just going to focus our attention on the introduction to this book, uh, which really carries over uh, the, the message or the, the record of events from Deuteronomy. We're going to focus on the first nine verses this morning. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1. This is God's inspired, holy, infallible, and inerrant Word. So, let's listen carefully to its instruction this morning. Joshua 1, beginning at verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And here we're going to end our reading of God's Word this morning. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, civic-minded citizens often wring their hands in despair when there's a change in administration following a general election. They may suspect that the new president or the new prime minister, whatever the case may be, is weaker than the last leader, and perhaps concerned that the new leader will completely overturn everything that the last administration stood for. A shroud of uncertainty often hangs over the nation following a shift in leadership. Well, here in Joshua 1, we have recorded for us an administration shift of a sort in Israel. The book of Joshua as a whole, like I said, picks up where the book of Deuteronomy just preceding it leaves off. And in Deuteronomy 34, we read that after God had given Moses a glimpse of the promised land atop Mount Nebo, there Moses died. And he was buried on the plains of Moab. And, and there the people of Israel grieved. They wept 
over the death of their great leader for 30 whole days. And then, without missing a step, the book of Joshua then records the events that took place after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now it's Joshua, Moses' assistant, who's going to take up the reins of leadership over Israel. And so, on one hand, the book of Joshua signals that a major shift in leadership, a major administration change has taken place. The famed prophet Moses is gone, his immense shoes not likely to be filled very easily. In fact, Deuteronomy 34 concludes with a glowing report about the greatness of Moses, God's servant. There we read, and there has not arisen a prophet since like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. What a glowing report of the mighty deeds, the miraculous works of God worked through this servant of Israel, this prophet of Israel, Moses. In light of Moses' greatness and in light of his recent death, a serious question lingers over the beginning verses of the book of Joshua. How will the people of Israel fare? What will their future look like now that Moses, their powerful leader, is dead? Will the new leader, Joshua, continue in the footsteps of his predecessor? But in fact, by, by picking up where Deuteronomy leaves off, the book of Joshua actually proves that there's a gracious continuity in the way that God cares for His people through His appointed leaders. If we would go back again to Deuteronomy 34, we read this, "'And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom.'" because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the people of Israel obeyed him. They did as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see, Moses had laid his hands of authority upon Joshua. But not just that. God himself had picked Joshua as his leader. Already back in Deuteronomy 31, before Moses had even died, the Lord himself commissioned Joshua, saying to him, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you, God says to Joshua. You see, it was God that appoint, had appointed Joshua for this task. It was God who had equipped Joshua with spiritual wisdom and power, and God would direct and strengthen him for a special task that had not even been given to Moses the task of leading the people of Israel to their inheritance in the promised land. And so, yes, while the book of Joshua begins with a change in administration, there's one essential point of continuity that we mustn't miss. In all instances, Israel's true leader is always the Lord, the Lord God, the covenant-keeping God of His people who remains true to His promise to bring them into the promised land, a land promised to Abraham.
And so in what follows in these verses, we're going to see two main things. First, we're going to notice that God renews His covenant with His people to settle Israel in the promised land. Secondly, we're going to see that, that God also exhorts His people. He commands them to faithfully observe His law as the only possibility, the only path of true blessedness. But what we mustn't miss this morning is that God's unfailing covenant promise to be with His people, to lead them into the promised land, is a promise ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ who makes us worthy of inheriting the promised land, which is not just a physical plot of land in Canaan. He makes us worthy to inherit the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, which is the eternal inheritance prepared for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. So first we notice God renews a covenant promise. As I said before, the book of Joshua begins with God calling Joshua, God commissioning him to lead the people of Israel over the Jordan and into the promised land. And it's God's covenant promises to Abraham that really undergird, that set the foundation for these promises to Joshua and the people of Israel. And brothers and sisters, you might remember that when God made promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 through 15, there were three main promises that he made. The first promise that God made to Abraham was that he would have offspring. He would have descendants, and not just a few of them. His descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. The second promise of God to Abraham was that he would bless Abraham but not just Abraham and his descendants. God would make Abraham a blessing for all the nations of the earth. And the third promise that God gave to Abraham was that he would give Abraham's offspring land. He would give Abraham and his offspring the land of the Canaanites. And now here in Joshua 1, Joshua, the people of Israel, are gathered just east of the Jordan River, and God assures them that He is beginning to fulfill that third promise to Abraham, to provide a land just for them. He promises Joshua here in verse 3, he says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So sure is this promise that God even reminds Joshua and the people what the parameters are of this land that He's about to give them. In verse 4 we read, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. I will fulfill every bit of the promise. God describes in detail the parameters of this covenant pledge. And if you remember, God had done that many times before. Time and again, the Lord had taken Abraham out to look over the land just west of the Jordan River, far as the eye could see. And God said, Abraham, this is the land that will be yours, the land of your descendants, and I promise this to you by way of covenant. All the land that you see, he said to Abraham in Genesis 13, I will give to you 
and to your offspring forever. And that promise was repeated to Abraham, to Isaac, to his generations, all the way up to the people of Israel under the care of Joshua. And now that land is becoming Israel's possession. So far, we've seen that God has promised leadership. He's promised land, and now He also promises presence. He's going to be with His people in this conquest. If at any point Joshua and the people should feel afraid, if at any point they should feel weak and uncertain of whether they would, in fact, be able to take the land unsuited for the task of conquest, the Lord reassures Joshua of His powerful presence with him. God says in verse 5, no man shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God would give His assistance. He would give His powerful help to Joshua, just as it was given to Moses. And so, from the perspective of God, Israel's success in taking the land is guaranteed because of the Lord's unfailing covenant promise. As we read this, we marvel at our God who is so great and trustworthy, who always keeps His covenant promises with His people. We think in our own lives about how faithful God has been in keeping us in His powerful hands, never leaving us, never forsaking us in the midst of trial and trouble that He sends. But when we read this passage, when we read these promises to Israel and to Joshua, we also are reminded that this promise of the land, the promise of the land was only partly fulfilled in, even in Joshua's lifetime. In Joshua 13, later on in the book, we read that when Joshua was old, when he was advanced in years, the Lord reminded him that there remained very much land yet to be possessed. They hadn't taken it all yet. And by chapter 23, the very end of the book, Joshua admits, admits that there are still tribes of other pagan nations that are still living in areas that God's people should have conquered. In fact, they failed ultimately to drive out of the land those pagan nations in disobedience to God, God's commandments. And that reality reminds us that, that Israel's incomplete conquest of the promised land was only a partial fulfillment of God's promise when He made that promise to Abraham. To be sure, God's promise to Abraham had a material aspect, the land of Canaan itself. But the Bible as a whole shows us that the promised land was just a limited foretaste of the greater inheritance that God has in store for all of His saints, including you and me. In Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of the hall of faith, we learn that when Abraham followed God's command, when he went away from his family to go and dwell in tents in a land that was very unfamiliar to him, he was actually looking forward to something far greater than the land of Canaan. Verse 10 says, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
Abraham and all of the, the saints mentioned in Hebrews 11 were seeking a homeland, a far greater and more permanent dwelling place than just the physical land of Canaan. They desired a better country. That is a heavenly one, a heavenly one. The country they longed for, that God had promised to them, was this earth to be sure, but in its renewed in its restored, in its perfected form as a new heaven and a new earth, the eternal home of God and His church as described so beautifully for us in Revelation 21. And the promised eternal inheritance that Abraham was to receive was mar far more than just land. It was far more than descendants. Hebrews 9 says that the saints of old longed for an eternal redemption an accomplished redemption, the complete forgiveness of sins, the blessings of the new covenant, whose mediator and guarantor is Jesus Christ. See, brothers and sisters, what Abraham and what Moses, what Joshua and Israel sought and enjoyed in their lifetimes only under the, the temporary form of Old Testament types and shadows we have in reality by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus, we are ushered into the holy city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we know Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant whose shed blood covers over our sins once and for all. Jesus suffered for us in order to sanctify us by His blood and so like Abraham, like his offspring, we seek the city that is to come, which God has promised to us. What comfort we have, what immense comfort and assurance we have that God has given us a more wonderful and perfect leader than Moses or Joshua ever could be. We have as our King, as our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God has placed in our hearts His Spirit to assure us of the great eternal inheritance that we have through the blood of Jesus. The Apostle Peter rejoices in that inheritance. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, he says, according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for all of us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the blessed inheritance that we have and that will always be ours, kept safe by our covenant-keeping, covenant-renewing God. We look forward to that inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, no lions to devour, no snakes to bite, all tears washed away because of our covenant-keeping God. Well, it's in light of that promise of God to be with His people always while preserving their heavenly inheritance. It's in light of that promise 
the Lord does something else here in this passage. He calls Joshua. He exhorts Joshua and the people of Israel to respond in faith, to respond in obedience, to go forth and to take this land of promise in obedience to the Word of God. They aren't to sit on their hands. They're to get moving and obey God's command to take the land in conquest. In verse 2, God commands Joshua, now therefore get up, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And we should pause for a moment and notice that this command, obeying this command, would have taken quite a bit of faith on the part of the people of Israel. Because the Jordan River itself was not an easy river to cross. We sometimes think that it was a rather easy endeavor for the, for the Israelites, but this would have been a challenge for them. The Jordan River was deep. It was fairly treacherous. Uh, mountains were on both sides of this river. Joshua 3 actually reports that the waters were deep during this particular time of the year, sometimes even overflowing the banks of the river. And once you cross the river, then what? What to expect on the other side? What enemies awaited them on the other side? And we know, as you continue to read Joshua, those enemies were great. They were giants, difficult foes. And so amidst the Lord's covenant promise to sovereignly give Israel the land, God also calls them to respond in faith to obtain this gift. And that's often how the Lord speaks to us. That's often how the Lord relates to us. John Calvin reminds us that God's promises come with the additional stimulus of exhortation, and we need that. And so, we read in verses 6 through 9 that God commands Joshua and Israel, no less than three times, by the way, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, Israel. Don't doubt God's ability to fulfill His promises to you. Embrace God's promises in faith and carefully obey His righteous commandments. The Lord says to His people that if, if they desire prosperity and success in the new land that they're going to inherit, then they must serve the Lord. They must obey the Word of God. In verse 8, God commands them, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to that which is written in it. Happiness, prosperity, fruitfulness, success are to be enjoyed as God's people meditate daily upon the righteous Word of God and seek to obey it. That was the call that later uh, the Psalms gave to the people of Israel. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law he meditates day and night. You see, God's sure promises ought to propel His covenant people to faithfully observe His Word. But in this, again, we're reminded that Israel ultimately failed to fully inherit the land of promise in no small part because they did not follow the Word of God. Much of the first five books of the Bible, what is called the Pentateuch, recounts Israel's rebellion in the wilderness. 
And on account of that, many Israelites perished. They died in the sands of the desert. We read in Deuteronomy 12 that many from Israel never entered the rest. They never entered the abundance of the inheritance that the Lord was giving them. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, with most of them, God was not pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. And Paul says later in that same chapter that Israel's rebellion took place as an example, as a warning for us that we might not do as they did that we might not desire evil as they did. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, we're warned not to follow the example of the wicked Israelites which failed to enter God's rest on account of unbelief. The writer to the Hebrews says to the church, take care. Watch out, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another, exhort one another, speak to one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God concludes His instructions to Joshua in verse 9, again for the third time calling Him to be strong and courageous, but notice the way this verse concludes teaches us something very important about how we can be strong and courageous in obedience to the Lord. The final word of this section of Joshua is not a command, but a promise. He says, verse 9, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, Joshua would not be alone would not be left to his own strength in seeking to obey the law of God. Whatever obedience the people of Israel could possibly muster would not be on account of their hard work or their striving, but they would obey because of God's promised grace, His enduring presence, and His perfect strength. And that way too, brothers and sisters, we will succeed we will live fruitful lives of joy and service under the umbrella of God's covenant promises because God is with us and by His Spirit He is strengthening us, helping us to grow in our ability to obey His instruction in light of the gratitude we have for our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, dear saints, we are called to heed God's covenant exhortation. We are called to meditate every day, like the psalmist says, upon God's Word so that our lives might be fruitful, they might be obedient, that we might enter the heavenly inheritance, that rest that Christ is keeping safe for us. This is a rest, an inheritance that even Joshua could not give the people of Israel. Only the great leader of God's church, Jesus Christ, can ensure that you will obtain that inheritance. He's your perfect mediator. He is your spotless high priest. He is the one who fully, perfectly obeyed God's law and who has passed through the heavens on account of His own perfection. 
Christ fully bore our sin. He set us free from its dominion and its condemnation. And it's only those who confess Christ as Savior who will inherit the promised rest of God. Only those who belong to Him can approach God's throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And so let us take these promises and let us take these exhortations seriously and let us remain firm in exhorting one another every day to embrace the saving promises of God by faith even while living lives of obedient service and gratitude according to God's holy word. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank You that You revealed Yourself to us in these few verses to be a God who is faithful to Your covenant promises. You have given us a perfect leader, Jesus Christ. You have secured for us a heavenly inheritance, a beautiful land where no suffering or sorrow remains, but only joy and perfect worship and the fullness of life. We thank You that by grace through faith in Jesus, that inheritance is already ours, and we look forward to the day when it will be fully ours and our full experience as believers. But You have also exhorted us and called us to meditate upon Your Word, to seek to obey Your Word in our lives, to go forth, to take account of our circumstances and to see how we might follow You in godliness and in truth. But we thank You that even in that endeavor, Lord, You are with us. And we go forth not in our own strength, not in our own obedience, but according to the assistance and the strength and the power of Christ and His Holy Spirit within us. Thank You for these promises. Thank You for the exhortation that ought to stimulate us to obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Psalter hymnals to number 466. 466. My faith looks up to Thee. We're going to sing together as we stand once again. The first three stanzas there. My faith looks up to Thee, now Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be holy thine. That is our Christian prayer this morning and through all of life. Number 466, one through three.
brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we now leave uh, the sacred hall, as we go into the world to serve Him this week, as we look forward first to coming back tonight to receive this means of grace. Receive now the parting blessing of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.